Larry Albert. <laughs> and uh, Larry called today. He, as some of you know from the update, Larry was going to be with us. Places of influence and Deborah. And so, Lord, use young men and women here that are open to be used by you to be in places of influence with the poor, the broken, or the rich and the wealthy and the uh, people with dislocated lives and people of influence. We bless Larry in Jesus' name. We bless Ben too, Lord. Yeah. Thank you for Ben and how you're stirring in his heart. I believe Ben is to have influence with uh, this generation in our day. Ben has uh, a lot of passion He's, he's well-trained, he's well-schooled, but he's uh, a man of the Spirit as well. So we bless you, Ben, the word God has given you for us. Amen. 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 Well, uh, yeah, you know, Larry, Larry is somebody that I really... Can everybody hear me out there okay? Is that... If I need to talk louder, I'll, you can just tell me, just interrupt me and I'll do that. So. You can use the mic if you want to. Okay. Would you rather not? Well, if, if I don't need to, I won't. Uh, okay. But maybe I'll just put it like this. So it just yeah, kind of... Yeah, okay. Is that okay? That's good. Yeah. That's good. It's a little in the way. <laughs> I'll just... I'll try to talk about it. Um, yeah, you know, Larry is Larry is a guy that, that I met um, very early on in my initial visit to the Twin Cities here. And um, right away I knew there was something special about him. I also really had an instant connection with Paul. But you know, there's, there's a lot of self-proclaimed apostles these days. You ever notice that? That word gets thrown around an awful lot these days. And I read something in the book of Acts recently, Acts 26, in which the apostle Paul was, for the third time in the book of Acts, I believe, conveying his testimony to Festus. And in that moment he says to Festus, uh, he, he describes something that Jesus said to him in his first visit on the road to Damascus that he doesn't say in the other two accounts. And he says this, that Jesus said to him, I want you to speak the things that I'm going to say to you now and the things that I'm going to say to you as I continue to appear to you. So in other words, the road to Damascus experience for Paul was not a one-time experience. Jesus continued to encounter, have these amazing encounters with Paul in the Spirit. And, and Paul describes some things that, that just <coughs> blow out of our minds, doesn't he? That's incredible things. I, you know, just recently I was at a, I was at a kind of a revival meeting and, and, and um, I was talking to a guy and he said, oh yeah, he's telling me about all these experiences that he had and I was, I was just kind of amazed by some of them. And I said, some of them sounded like the work of an evangelist. And I said, wow, you really got that evangelist thing. And he's like, Hey, the mantle is apostle, he said, real quick, and it just kind of took me back. But you know, Larry is one of the few guys that, that I might actually risk putting putting that title on because, because he really is a special guy. Paul's one of the few as well. Not saying that you have full-on visitations all the time or anything. <laughs> but, um, but I really like Larry a lot, so instead of Larry the Apostle, you get Ben the Disciple. <laughs> so... But um, the, the, the word that I'm going to share with you guys tonight is really a very simple word, and it's a word that 
the Holy Spirit spoke into my heart specifically for North Heights Church. Uh, one of the things that I do is I'm pastoral associate over at North Heights. Raise your hand if you know that place. One person. Oh, okay. Here we go. <laughs> and and uh, so I was I was given this word for that for that church, and. Um, <coughs> As Paul called me, I, I thought, well, the only thing I've got prepared at the moment is this one, unless the Holy Spirit doesn't want to use any of this, and that's, that's fine with me, too. Um, but I'll start with this, and we'll see where this goes. Sound like a deal? Good. Okay. So, um, the title of, of this uh, teaching that I've got here, it's part of a teaching series uh, called Shattered. And um, the focus of this teaching series is really... Is, gonna, is, is fully on restoring broken and shattered people in relationships. That's that's the um, the main goal. And so tonight, my main goal is going to be cast seeds of hope and healing into your hearts, to hearts of people whose lives have been um, hurt and bruised by relational relational turmoil. And you know, if um, if numbers are right, and if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, most of us would have to admit that we either know somebody who is struggling in that kind of a place. Otherwise, we're struggling in that kind of a place right now, right? Mm-hmm. And if numbers are right, for example, statistics show us that right now over the last 30 years or so, across a vast spectrum of various relational health and wholeness indicators in our nation, such as the strength of our marriages, the divorce rate in our country, the number of children being born out of wedlock, and those growing up in single-parent households, what we're seeing right now is a steady and alarming turn for the worse. It's clear, very clear, that America right now is in the midst of of a crisis of relationship. Can you see that that's true? Now alongside of this, we're also witnessing a growing number of cases of major depression, psychological disorders, mental illnesses. In fact, I saw this statistic, that by the year 2020, it's actually estimated that the most um, disabling condition in our country will be depression. It'll be surpassed only by heart disease. That's the only thing that'll surpass it by the year 2020. And moreover, we're also seeing a suicide rate that is climbing steeper by the decade. Look around the room right now. I want you to just look in each other's eyes. I want you to see if you can see this. And I'm going to say something to you. Right now, we are living under the the, the fallen decisions of every generation that has come before us. And we're living under the consequences of those, of those decisions, we are the, the dysfunctional remnant, the surviving children of every age of human history that has passed us up to the present moment. There's an incredible amount of relational hurt that's in this generation. Now, you know, when, uh, when we're met with, with figures like that, with facts and realities like that, um, it's, it's easy to see that we're suffering of a broken heart, amen? Amen. But you know, in the midst of it all, God is speaking His Word. I want to read to you a prophecy that came across my desk as I was preparing this teaching. And it was written several weeks before I started to to put all this together. You want to hear this? Yes. It, it, It applies directly, I believe. This is it. It's from the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm calling the brokenhearted, the wounded, the bleeding. I'm calling all of you to follow me with full abandon. I'm a God of love of mercy, and of grace. So my children must be ready with open arms to embrace the hurting of this world. There's so much pain. So much pain. But I am the healer. I am the God of glory and of power. I am able to heal. I am able to save. I am able to make whole. 
And then I believe this was a word directed towards me. Are you ready to fulfill my commission to the broken, to those so in need of healing? I am able to make whole. Will you extend my healing power to a hurting world? And then he said, I'm calling you to be a vessel of my life. My plans and purposes are for you to allow my life to flow. I want this to flow tonight. There's a lot of broken people in this room. I, I, I know there is, because you're human, and you're living in this broken generation. So I want to pray right now before I go any further with this. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would right now cause a, a spirit of revelation to be over this, this whole place right now. That we would together collectively receive words from you, God. That you would speak to us, God, and, and that you would use me as, as a weak human vessel, Lord, to convey truth that cuts away deception and lies and things that are, are holding people in bondage, God. And I pray that some of the the sort of a hypnosis that our culture has put onto this generation would get broken and shattered tonight in Jesus' name. And that you would just cause freedom to be in our hearts and in this place. And that that freedom would run uh, powerfully through each heart. Cause us to be open right now, Lord, to what you're going to say and, and to the words that you're going to speak, Lord, because you have, you have a powerful, life-giving message for us tonight, Lord. And I pray that you would allow that to flow powerfully in Jesus' name. And for Jesus' sake, Amen. 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 Well, so, here's what I believe that, that God has sent me into this room tonight to, to say to you, is that God in this season, He's calling us to focus on ministering for the sake of reconciling and restoring broken people and relationships. And you know, this is a, a topic of enormous importance to God. Did you know that? Yeah. Paul the Apostle said in, 2 Corinthians 5.18, that Christ has assigned unto us, that is the church, the ministry of reconciliation. And this is, this is a, a, an issue of enormous importance to the heart of God. It's foundational to the message of the gospel. Reconciliation. But before we can begin to see restored um, relationship, before we can start to see restored hearts, we're first going to have to seek to restore our relationship unto God. See, because apart from restoration unto God, relationship with one another is completely impossible. Did you know that? Amen. It's impossible. Now, John, the beloved disciple, he described this spiritual truth in his first epistle. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, I want you to open to the book of Little John. That's First John, just in case you're wondering. First John. See, because John, John understood a thing or two about the love of God. Believe it. And he understood a thing or two about relationship. And he understood something about priorities within the commands of love that he put upon the church. He understood a lot of things. He had a deep sense of revelation about this. I want you to look at this verse. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And I want to read this as I believe John meant it to be read, okay? It's my opinion. This is how I believe John wrote this. He said it like this. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins. If... Now, walking in light, that speaks of walking in relationship with God, right? I mean, John the, John the Apostle writes elsewhere that, that God is himself light, and in him is no darkness at all, right? He said in John 1, 9 that Jesus is the light of the world, 
Right? And so God is Himself the light. That means walking in the light. That's, that, that means a lot of things. It certainly means things about walking in holiness, but it, it, it kind of in a rock-bottom sort of sense, what that means is walking with God. And so we can see that, that from John's perspective, relationships with our co-workers, our, our family, our neighbors, our friends, all of it is connected in a powerful way to walking with God. And not only so, but it's actually dependent upon walking with God, right? Because John says, if we walk in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. And our relationships will be healed. And our hearts will be healed. So we see that being submitted to a right relationship with God is is necessary for us to have right relationships with others. You know, I personally experienced the reality of this spiritual truth in my own life. I grew up in a Christian home with two wonderful parents who were uh, just accepted a call into their life to, to raise me in a manner worthy of, of my calling as a follower of Jesus. And some of my most precious, most dearest memories were formed back in those days when I was a child with my parents. I mean, did you know that children can walk with God? That's true, right? I mean, little children. I was walking with God as a little child. I really was. But then uh, later on in my life, for about a period of five or six years or so, I turned away from my Christianity that, that my parents had given to me. The inheritance they had given to me in Christ. I turned away from all of that. And for about a period of five or six years or so, I squandered myself in wild, worldly living. I was like the prodigal son. The, the story of the prodigal son. I broke all the rules that I knew I wasn't supposed to break. And I offended the holiness of God. And I broke and I shattered my relationship with Him. And you know, in the midst of all that, I discovered that God's word to John, what you've got right there, is absolutely true. If you shatter your relationship with God, the rest of your relationships are going to suffer intensely. I discovered that that was true. And sometimes you just bump up against hard realities in the word. You ever notice that? You know, people don't actually ever break the law of God. The law of God breaks you because it's true. It's just always true whether you want it to be true or not. And so this is true. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But the opposite is also true. If we're not walking in the light, we won't have fellowship with one another. Our relationships are going to fall apart. And our lives won't be in right order. And so because I shattered my relationship with the Lord, my family, my, my relationships with my family suffered intensely. Now, please understand me. That was not my intention when I shattered my relationship with my family. That was not what I was seeking. It's not what I wanted. I, I loved my family. I always had a sense of, of wonderful affection and love towards them. But again, I found out that this was true. As a result, I fell out of fellowship with the people most dear to me. And so, here's the deal. John's words are speaking a profoundly deep spiritual truth here. And, and we need to understand this. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we need to understand it because as we're going to see uh, tonight, the implications of this one spiritual truth, they're so vast, they're so numerous that they impact every area of our hearts and lives, without, without exception, every area. So I want us to examine this principle in action elsewhere in the scriptures. You want to do that? Yeah. I want you to turn, if you've got your Bible open, turn now to the book of Matthew. To the book of Matthew. We're heading now towards the 22nd chapter. And the reason that we're heading to Matthew 22 is is because 
we find in Matthew 22 what is perhaps a, one of the most succinct explanations found anywhere in the Bible of the dynamic relationship between fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And it comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. And the setting for the story takes place during the week of Jesus' crucifixion. And during that time, there was a Jewish lawyer, and he came to Jesus, and he asked him a question. <coughs> it's found for us in verse 36. I want you to look there. He said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, what the guy is saying there, he's saying, which is the big one? What is the one that God is most concerned about? From your perspective, Jesus, which is it? And here's how Jesus answers him. He says to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in that passage, Jesus is teaching the same two biblical principles that we saw back in John's epistle. Can you see that? The first commandment speaks of relationship with God. You shall love the Lord your God. The second commandment speaks of relationship with, uh, with others. You shall love your neighbor. While the phrase, like unto, forms the connection, right? Now, you'd have to have some appreciation or some interest for the original languages to understand or, or, or really grasp this point. I'll try to explain it to you as best I can. The Greek translation for that phrase, like unto, that you see in your Bible there, do you know what word it is? It's the word homoousi. <laughs> I don't know if you can understand that or appreciate it. That, that's the same word that the church later came, came to use to describe Jesus' union with the Father. In other words, everything that Jesus meant when he said to Philip at the Last Supper, Philip, I and the Father are one. That same kind of sense is conveyed here in relationship between loving God and loving others. Can you see how powerful of a thing that is to do right there? It's a significant thing. We also see that, that Jesus is referring to the same order that we saw John writing about back in his epistle. Notice that relationship with God is spoken of as the first commandment, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's the first one. That, that means it's, it's the first and the highest kingdom priority. You can kind of see it in that sense. And I believe it, it talks about covenant relationship with God first and foremost. That's what it's talking about. And it outranks all other Christian callings in our life because apart from it, no other Christian calling can be sustained for any usable period of time. Amen. See, vertical relationship with God is necessary for us in order for us to have right and, and good and successful relationships with others. But you know, most people live in a very opposite manner to Jesus' instructions prescribed in, in, in regard to this, this teaching about relationship. We overlook our need for a vertical connection to God, and we try to use our horizontal relationships yeah. as a means for establishing significance in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. But I want, to, I want to say this to you really strongly. I mean, some of you may know this. Maybe a lot of you know it. But I want to say this strongly. That, that is always going to be a hopeless endeavor. It, it, it never works. Your horizontal relationships will never be able to suffice to give you a, a, a sense of full significance in your life. It's impossible. It, it can't do it. Amen. See, because human relationships are not powerful enough to replace our insatiable need for a connection with an yes. eternal God. It, yes. it can't happen. Amen. Now Solomon, he wrote about this in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Hmm. Right. And he said this, he said, God has put eternity into the hearts of men. Yeah. He's put eternity into your chest. Yes. Do you know what that means? 
that means that God has placed a knowledge inside of you of what forever and ever means. That's what that means. And that knowledge, in turn, it generates a desire from within you for a transcendent relationship with God that can never be satisfied in any lesser thing. Amen. So, though we're unaware of it, our spirits have been designed by God with a great longing for Him. We want covenant fellowship with God. In fact, all people, from the tiniest child who hardly understands his need for love, to the mature adult who's seeking for fulfillment in all the wrong places, all of us together have been created with an appetite for love that is the size of eternity. And when we take a need for love of that magnitude and we seek to have it fulfilled in the context of horizontal relationships, the result is always broken and, and hurting people and lives. It always happens that way. It never varies. I want to say something to you that God dropped into my spirit as I was preparing this this um, this teaching. And when I when I first heard it, I almost dismissed it as kind of unbiblical. You know, you ever have something like that happen to you? You're like, is that the devil or God? I don't know. <laughs> this was one of those things. But as I searched it out in the Word, I found it to be true. I'm going to read it to you verbatim. Yes. The only thing in the universe that is equal to the size of God is your longing for God. Your longing for God is as big as God is. Now, you, I, I know some of you are like, That's, I don't know about that. I'll, I'll give you a, a little bit of the biblical foundation here to that, to that statement. See, the Bible tells us that God is from everlasting to everlasting, right? He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's forever and ever. He's eternal. His presence fully envelops eternity, right? Fully. And that is exactly what God claims that, that He's put inside of you. He's put eternity inside of you. And that, that longing for God, it's going to do either one of two things in your life from an eternal perspective. Number one, it'll either, in God's presence, in heaven one day, it'll thrill you and overwhelm you with joy at having that need, that longing for God and relationship with Him fulfilled in an eternal sense, or it will do this. That same longing will turn on you and torture you without mercy forever and ever in a place of eternal separation. Your longing for God will do one of those two things. It's that powerful. And Jesus, he knows all of this. And so he, he's unveiling this reality to the Jewish lawyer as he's talking with him. Is everybody with me? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like really going hard here. Coming. <laughs> it's good. Let's move on. I want you to look at out verse 40 in your Bibles. Matthew 22, verse 40. Now Jesus, he wraps up his teaching with the Jewish lawyer. He uses the following words. I want you to look at this. This is this is uh, kind of astonishing to me. Jesus says, "On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets." That's a remarkable statement. You want to know why? The reason is simple. You see, for the Jews, the phrase "the law and the prophets" it was a label that was frequently used to encompass and to mean all of Scripture. Okay? And so, in other words, what Jesus was saying to the lawyer is everything that you consider Scripture, i.e., your whole Bible, is dependent on these two commandments. Do you know what that means? That means every promise, every precept, every blessing of the Bible is hanging in the balance on how you live those two kingdom priorities loving God and loving others. 
Now, ex- examples of, of this truth um, in story form, they fill the pages of the Old Testament. And uh, one example in particular that I've chosen for us today is found in the book of Haggai. If you have your Bibles, why don't you just go ahead and flip now to the book of Haggai. Am I pronouncing it right? Haggai. Haggai, thank you. Thank you, Haggai. Way to keep it real. Seriously, you can interrupt me like that. You can do that. That's fine. Go Naomi. Amen. Well, for those of you that don't know, the backdrop uh, for the book of Haggai is the return of the Israelites from exile. At this point in the story of Israel's history, they had repeatedly turned away from God into idol worship, and they had been sent uh, into exile in 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 the nation of Babylon. And at this point, after years of punishment in that place of exile, it was like a second Egypt for them. And for years and years of being in that place, God sends them back to the promised land, and they're heading back towards the city of Jerusalem to reestablish the kingdom of God. And they were beginning to rebuild their lives as before. But you know, in the midst of it all, they, they made a critical mistake. A really critical mistake. I want you to look at this. Haggai chapter 1, verse 3. The word of the Lord... Haggai, thank you. I keep getting it wrong. I better get it right, because she won't let me pass this by. It says, for this reason, uh, God spoke to the prophet Haggai, okay? Verse 3. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Just like this prophecy here. Like somebody gave us this prophecy. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet and said said this, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Now, uh, to, in order to understand the significance of this, you have to understand that what's being talked about there is the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord, in an Old Testament sense, it was the place of relationship with God. That's why King David said... I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to inquire of the Lord in His temple. David was a man with a passion to know God. He wanted to be in relationship with God. He was was a man after God's heart. And the temple was the place of relationship with God. So you have to kind of get that sense in your mind to understand this. Reading on, look at your Bibles. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You sown much and harvested little. Mm. And you eat, but you never had enough. Let's skip down to verse 9 now. Look at this. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Now here's what I want you to see. The house of the Lord is the place of relationship with God. The people's houses are the place of their relationship with others. You start to see where I'm going with this? And because of this, because they were ignoring their relationship with God, the rest of their lives were beginning to fall apart. Though they had a great desire to regather the nation as before, yet at the same time, they were ignoring the one thing upon which the destiny of their nation always hinged, which was their covenant relationship with God. 
See, all throughout the entire Old Testament, this is kind of a, a deep reality, but you'll see it as you read through the whole thing. All throughout the entire Old Testament, the success of Israel of an, as a nation, it was dependent upon their relationship to the tabernacle, which was the place of their covenant fellowship with God. And I'm going to say this, as it once was in the Old Testament age, so it also is in the New Testament age. You ignore your covenant relationship with God. If I do that, our lives start to fall apart. Hear me now. If we walk in the light. If we walk in the light, I'm talking about walking with Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins. That's the way that we're able to have right relationships with other, other people. That's the way that we're able to have wholeness in our lives. It's through right relationship with God. I mentioned to you at the beginning of this, of, of this that, that my primary point in all of this would be to say to you that if you ignore your relationship with God, that your relationships with others, it would just begin to fall apart, right? Remember I said that? And that your life, in turn, every area of your heart and life would be impacted as a result. Remember I said that? Mm-hmm. Some of you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Look down at your lap a minute again. That's what I was talking about. That's what I was talking about. That's how deep the issue really runs. But if we're going to step wholeheartedly into this truth, we have to deal with a common error that our culture has bought into. I don't know how difficult this will be for some of you, but I intend this to be something that brings freedom into your life when I say it, okay? So understand this whole next part this is a good landing point for getting real freedom. Because if we're going to step wholeheartedly in this truth, we're going to have to deal with a common error that our culture has bought into. See, because society tells us that the source of our relational turmoil with others is rooted in our own self-hatred, right? And so if we can somehow learn to love ourselves more, maybe then our relationships with others will become whole, maybe then we'll stop taking so many chemicals, maybe then we'll stop eating so much, and, and we'll start to have right relationships with others, and all of our problems will go away. And we think that way. I mean, the entire counseling enterprise is based on that notion. And you know, in some respects, the church has been in, infiltrated with this, this, this same kind of thinking as well. We teach, how many of you have heard this idea in church before? We teach in Leviticus 19.18 that when, when God said, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, we teach that See, that's it. You've got to love yourself, and then you'll be able to love your neighbors. How many times have you heard that teaching in church before? Raise your hands. That's it? Just one or two of you? <laughs> that is, a, that is a, a, a gross error. A really gross error. I mean, Jesus never taught self-love as a pathway to loving others. In fact, in fact, the New Testament warns against it. Paul the Apostle said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 1 and 2, he said, Understand this, Timothy, that in the last days... Our time. There will come times of great difficulty. And here's the reason why. For people will be lovers of themselves. <laughs> will be lovers of themselves. And then farther down in verse 5 of that same chapter, it says, avoid such people. In other words, avoid such thinking. See, because while the whole world is loving themselves, guess what God has called the church to do? Revelation 12, 11. 
they overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony because they loved not their Life. lives. Even unto death. There's, there's, there is freedom in a place of not worrying about having to love yourself and allowing God to love you instead so that Amen. you can enter into freedom. Amen. You know, and uh, I just saw a headline on MSN News this week. Uh, it was on this, this very topic. You know, that we're living in one of the most narcissistic generations, the most self-loving generations that, that America has yet seen. We're living in the midst of a really, really self-loving generation right now. And, and this it's just, just kind of one of the signs of the times, almost, you think to yourself. Ben, can you clarify what you mean by loving yourself in that context? Yeah. I'll clarify it with this story. Here it is. Just recently, I was, I was counseling with a young man who had a, bought into this lie, and he had attempted to commit suicide by shooting himself. But he had miraculously survived. So the doctors were able to piece him back together, and he survived. And I was talking to this guy and um, encouraging him, and he said to me, Ben, would you pray that God would help me to love myself more so I wouldn't hate myself so much? So pray that God will help me to love myself more. And the way that I responded to him was I said, no, I won't pray that prayer for you. And here's why. Because your human heart is incapable of generating a love that would be powerful enough to swallow your own sense of self-hatred. Amen. Mm. Amen. Can't do it. It's good. See, it's, it's like I said a moment ago. If your massive longing for God is not met with covenant fellowship with God, that longing is going to turn on you. It's going to become your worst enemy, and it will viciously torment you without right. mercy forever and ever if you give it a chance to. That's right. Why? Because God is he's, he's placed eternity into our hearts. He's placed a great desire to come into contact with His love for us. We're created with a cry in our hearts for Him. See, here's what I said to the guy. I said to him, no, I won't pray that prayer for you. But here's what I will pray for you. I'll pray for you that your heart comes into contact with the truth of God's love for you, that you have an encounter with God. And that as you see in the Spirit, just, it's just kind of you have to imagine it this way, as you see Jesus' marred face on the cross for you, that your heart would perceive the depths of God's love for you, and that in the midst of that encounter, that just like a vast ocean, it would just swallow your self-hatred. I want to give you an image right now. Just picture this in your minds. A volcano in the middle of an ocean. And that volcano is erupting, and that volcano represents your wound. That volcano represents your self-hatred. Right? And then all of a sudden, an earthquake comes from underneath of that volcano and shakes the thing. And in a couple moments, it, its foundation snaps, the volcano sinks into the ocean and disappears forever. The ocean is God's love, the volcano is your wound. See, when you and I come into an encounter with God, it causes us to, to, just, to just be in a place where we can receive God's love for us. And as that happens, 
our need to attempt to love ourselves with weak human replacements completely vanishes and disappears. Good. And as a result, we become the kinds of people... I mean, there, did you know uh, the Moravian Movement? Uh, raise your hand if you've ever heard of that before. The Moravian Movement? There were people within that movement that sold themselves into slavery so that they could share the gospel. People who love themselves don't do things like that. Right. Loving yourself is a very innovative concept that has, does not have a strong um, uh, focus anywhere in Christian, in Christian writing throughout, throughout history. Uh, nowhere in the Bible do you see a concept like this uh, really taught in a strong way. It doesn't, it doesn't come up. That's good. God doesn't teach that. God teaches us coming into an absence of needing to love ourselves because our need for love is so met with Him Amen. that our Amen. self-hatred just vanishes and disappears and we don't have to deal with it anymore. Amen. So I, I, and as, as much as possible, I want to come to a place where I don't think about that anymore. Where right. I, I don't even worry about it anymore because I, I'm just so enraptured with God's love for me, it doesn't even matter. Good. See, all I'm doing right now is I'm exposing a lie in order to be able to, to hook you up to a better power source to be able to allow love to overwhelm your heart. Amen. That's good. Good, man. So I, I, I said to that guy, I said, do you want me to pray that for you? <laughs> and then, you know what he said to me? He said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd like that. <laughs> I said, yeah, I think I'd like that. And so I prayed for him. And I'm still praying for him. I'm going to take us to one more place um, in the Bible, and then I I just want us to take a couple of moments to, to pray and to be able to receive the Lord's love for us in a, in a fresh and a new way. Because he's got something better for you than your own love for yourself. Yes. <laughs> You're in the book of Haggai. I want you to flip back now to the book of Matthew. We're heading towards the 11th chapter. Um, and as I read this right now, I just I want to read this. I want to I want to read this right now um, from a more prophetic perspective, okay? In the sense that I want to I want to speak this, I want to impart it to you um, on behalf of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not I'm not teaching a principle here. I'm trying to impart something to you. Well, I'm not trying to. I'm going to let God do that. <laughs> He'll impart it to you. I don't have to do that. That part. And if your life is in trouble and your heart is shattered, if you're if you're at all relating to the statistics that are right now at work in our culture, and if you're in that place of struggling with your identity, I want you to hear what Jesus prayed about you. I want you to look at this. Verse 25. And you have to kind of picture Jesus' folded hands as I read this to you, okay? Because he's praying. In this, in this part of the Bible, he's praying. He says, says in verse 25, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding 
and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then Jesus opens His eyes, right at this moment, He opens His eyes, and I want you to picture Him just kind of turning to you. Okay? This is what He says. He says to me, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I want to finish up my testimony I started at the beginning. Remember I said to you that I, I, when I destroy my relationship with God, that my relationships with my family fell apart. Right? Remember I said that? Well, when I returned to God, one of the first things that took place was a restoration in my family. And so as a result, I, I've got a great relationship with my parents now. I have a great relationship with my sister. There's wholeness, there's healing that's come into my family life. There's, there's wholeness that's come into, into areas of my life that I didn't even know I was broken during that time when I was just running away from God. And um, now I, I don't want to create the impression as though what I'm saying to you tonight here is that if you get restored unto God in your relationship, that that automatically means that... All of a sudden, all your relationships with everyone else are better. All of a sudden, you have wholeness in your heart. That's not the way that this works. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't want to create that kind of impression here in what I'm saying. But I do want to tell you that without this, our relationships with one another become impossible. Because we really, you know, I, I'm so glad that in my relationship to my wife, that she loves God more than she loves me. <laughs> and that she gets more love from God than she does for me. Amen. Because because if it were any other way, my relationship with her would not be whole. It just wouldn't work right. Yeah. And and so this is this is just it's it's a basic thing. It's it's milk in some ways, but at the same time, its implications are so big. You think of Haggai, Haggai. Their <laughs> <laughs> whole lives were falling apart. Because of that one simple thing. And so um, I'm just going to pray right now that the Lord would just work in your hearts and in your lives in such a way that, that right now you start to take some steps to return to the Lord. Mm-hmm. To, to whatever degree you've walked away from Him. To whatever degree that walking away from Him has caused brokenness in your relationships mm-hmm. with your family or your friends, or maybe relationships here, if you can start to just kind of reorient your life mm-hmm. towards that one thing, God starts to bring wholeness in other areas.
Let's just close our eyes for a moment. pray, God, that you would right now begin to work in us uh, a desire just to return to you. Just to take one small step to return to you right now, God. Lord, if, if, uh, if we somehow strayed and, and in doing so have lost touch with the one thing that keeps the rest of our life whole, I pray that you would help us, God. That you would, by your grace, just begin to beckon us back, just like that prayer that you prayed. Mm-hmm. Said, "Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." I pray, God, that that would be a call that we respond to tonight, Lord Jesus. That for those of us that are broken, God, for those of us that have lost our way, that you bring about a healing, Lord, yes. in our lives. you'd return us to yourself. Lord, that as we submit to your love, God, vast as an ocean, that that love would swallow all of our pain, all of our turmoil, and that in turn, Lord, would be something that we live out so that we can, the Bible says that we love because he first loved us, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing that makes us capable of being loving people is receiving God's love. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of love, Lord, that we want to receive and give in our lives. So I pray that you would you'd help us, God, to just take these small steps. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.